Tonight's reading is from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to him and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. For those of you um, who don't know me, my name is Drew, and I am the pastor at Trinity Church um, in the Excelsior District. Um, it's, it's such a joy, as uh, Natalie was praying earlier, to be reminded that you all pray for us. We pray for you all. It's fun to partner with you all. Um, I'm also uh, a father who has two kids at Donham Day um, Classical Academy. Uh, you guys pray for that. My wife also teaches there. And so it's just really fun to see the kingdom in its fullness um, in all the ways that you all pray for, not just for the needs of here at First Pres, but also throughout the city. And um, speaking of Donham Day and kids and school, just the other day, um, school got out. Donham Day is a year-round school, and school goes on until the end of, of June. And um, sometimes, I was just reminded as, as we've been going through a lot of things, that sometimes we put the emphasis on the wrong point. So my school was let out, and we had um, Independence Day weekend last weekend, and um, on last Monday, we were just busy getting ready because my uh, wife, she's from Japan, was getting ready to take our children, my children, our children um, back to Japan to go see her mom to visit for the first time in two years. And for the first time since her father passed away um, two years ago. And so we're getting ready for, for their trip. I'm excited for them. I'm, 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 I'm starting to miss them because... I see the, the clock ticking until I have to take them to the airport. And my son, he is such a sensitive little boy. He's eight years old and his name is Sho. And he was so focused on the fact that he was going to miss me that he started saying, I don't want to go to Japan. And yeah, it's crazy, right? It warmed my heart so much that he was missing me while he was getting ready to go, but at the same time, I wouldn't want him to miss out on the trip 
that uh, we had planned for him. And to be quite honest, I don't know if I could have dealt with having him here as a single parent, as a single dad, for, for the two weeks that my wife and my daughter would have gone to Japan. But uh, his emphasis, his focus was on the wrong point. And as, as we've been studying, we've been studying at Trinity, you guys joined us a couple of weeks ago, what it means to be, what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we've been continuing to go through that. We started with you all um, in the book of James, in James 2. Then the following week, last week, we went into Galatians 5. And that's why you'll see in kind of all connecting in the back of your bulletin, all these passages that are related to this theme and this topic of loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is arguably the pinnacle of what it means to love, of an example of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's a great story that everyone knows, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, for the most part, you grew up in the United States, in the Western world, you know the story. And so people try to analyze this story and to break it down. They try to parse it out to understand all the different symbolism that's going on. Because obviously this is a parable. So it's a story that Jesus um, came up with to teach a deeper story. So people, scholars, have examined and tried to figure out what all these characters mean. What does the priest represent? What does the Levite represent? How about the two robbers? Is there a reason why Jericho and the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? Um, is there, you know, they, they, they try to figure out why two denarii, all these things, trying to figure out all the details. What did Jesus mean by this? And there's a lot of stuff to unpack there, a lot of stuff that people unpack, a lot of things to analyze, and a lot of things to ponder about. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of it is speculation. It's trying to understand. But as my friend Ryan Jones, who used to pastor a church called Eucharist here in San Francisco and is now um, running this Institute for Christiformity, um, he says, sometimes we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Because this parable is so familiar, we forget why Jesus tells it. We focus in on the parable and we sometimes forget on why Jesus tells this parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a story. And instead of focusing on the story, today I like to focus on Jesus' compassion for the lawyer because we know that lawyers need compassion. That's a joke, obviously. The, the lawyer in this story isn't the lawyer that we think of when we think of a lawyer. In fact, the lawyer is someone who studied not civil law, but religious law. A lawyer who studied the Bible, what it means to be a Christian, or I guess a, a Jewish person at that time, who studied it all so that he could help other people be good practicers of Torah, who would be good followers of the law. And this, was, this is what he was doing. He was a lawyer. So we're going to study 
and focus on Jesus' compassion for the lawyer. But before we do that, please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us today to worship you, to confess our sins, to confess our faith, to pray for one another, to shortly partake in communion together and to be sent out, filled with your spirit into this broken world that so needs you. We need you. So I pray that I would be faithful in proclaiming your gospel. I pray that you would open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear the beauty of your word. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So the first point that I want to bring up in this parable, in, or rather in this passage that we just heard Spence read earlier, was that a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, it says, right? And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I was just chatting with uh, John Brackett over at the porch a couple of weeks ago, and we we're talking about, he and his church are, are going through Luke, and we were talking about how oftentimes these encounters that Jesus has, um, they're encounters, public encounters. And they're encounters where, um, if I were to liken it to something going on today, it's like a rap battle. Okay? So Jesus is there. A person comes up to challenge Jesus, drops down, you know, a beat, and essentially is calling Jesus out. He's, he's there. He stands up and he puts Jesus to the test. And in fact, it's interesting. And, and you'll see as you study the verses that I put in the back of your bulletin or had Joyce put in the back of your bulletin, as you study 2 Chronicles 28, as you study Hosea chapter 6, and as you study those in light of, or as you study those and you look at, it in, you look at this passage in light of those passages, you can see that Jesus is actually being, he's, 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 he's doing a remix, right? He's taking stuff from 2 Chronicles 28, from Hosea chapter 6, from Leviticus, and he's mixing it into what comes out as this parable. And so this lawyer comes up to put Jesus to his test. And this is the challenge. How will Jesus answer this question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers this question, as many rabbis probably would, with a question. What is written? He asks. And the lawyer answers, answers great. He remixes the Bible too. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these are two separate Bible passages that up until that, that, was connect, that was combined together prior to Jesus, prior to this lawyer, they were combined together. And this was something that all Jewish people would agree, that these, this was what it mean, meant to, um, to follow. This was, this was what the greatest commandment was. And so this teaching... This on the great, greatest commandment. It wasn't something new. But it was already established. And so Jesus points, points back and helps the lawyer understand the great commandment. 
And he says, do this and live. Love God and neighbor. Now, the lawyer is asking about eternal life. And for many of us, when we think about eternal life, we think of life after death. We think of what it means when we pass on to glory. But Jesus answers. He answers, do this and live. Not do this to inherit eternal life. Do this and live. Love God and neighbor. Jesus is showing us that eternal life begins now. That the way we live our life now, as we, as Jesus is there proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, he's constantly proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus is showing, he's showing the lawyer that eternal life begins here and now. And as we enter, that we enter into the eternity in the here and now by living into the kingdom of heaven. So then we see in this passage that the lawyer desires to justify himself. And he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? And when Jesus, when he asks Jesus this, he's trying to justify himself. Because probably in the back of his mind, He's a lawyer. He's a religious professional. He's checked off all the boxes. And he's decided, probably in the back of his mind, that he's doing all these things. That he's been able to love his neighbor. That he's been able to love God. In fact, he's probably, as a lawyer, helping these people. He's helping people carry out the great commandment. And so once again, As he asks this question, Jesus responds. And it's here where he gives this famous parable to explain deeply to this lawyer. Finally, at the very end of this passage, Jesus asks a question to the lawyer. He says, he asks him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man answers, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, as we read this passage, as we see Jesus' interaction with this lawyer, this is all great, but how do we respond now? How do we respond 2,000 years plus later? How do we respond in a context that's very different than the context that Jesus lived in? The first thing, and the first way that I want to challenge you and get you to think, is that we are like the lawyer. We're constantly trying to inherit eternal life. And we need to stop trying to earn our salvation and instead, we need to live out of love. You know, whatever we believe, whether we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, or whether we're skeptical about the claims of Jesus, or whether we believe that Jesus was just a good teacher, 
wherever we fall on that spectrum. I believe that wherever we are, we're all trying to earn our salvation. Because that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world where we are told that we need to earn our keep. We live in a world that is, especially here in San Francisco, a world where performance matters so much. And many of us grew up in contexts where we found our self-worth in how successful we are. And so we try to earn our salvation. And whether that's a question of heaven, whether that's a question of self-worth, whether that's a question of feeling valued, whatever it is, we all try to earn our salvation. And we do this partially because we see that we, and we experience and we know that we live in a broken world. We live in a world, you can ask anyone, that this isn't the way that the world is meant to be. That there's something deep down in all of our hearts that say, that screams out for justice. That there's something deep down in our heart that says, this is not the way that the world is supposed to be. That there's supposed to be something better. That there's supposed to be something different. And so I think we all recognize deep down in our hearts that we live in a broken world. And so we're looking for salvation from it. It's a world full of hurt. It's a world full of pain. It's a cold, it's a cruel world. And I think whatever we believe, wherever we are in our journey of faith, we all can see that love is part of the answer. I was just listening to, to, um, to the radio, to music actually on the radio for the first time in a really long time. And I decided to turn into the pop station because, hey, uh, I don't know what's going on with pop music nowadays. Too often when I'm listening to the radio, I, I, I wind up listening to podcasts. I wind up listening to the news. I don't listen to music. And so this morning I was on my way driving to church, turned on pop music. And a lot of music is about love, right? And I thought, started thinking back to when I was young, when I was listening to pop music, when I was in my teens and in my early 20s, and just all the ways that this desire for love, for something to know that I was loved, how this was such a real part of the music even, even then. And so I realized, it just reminded me, that love, we all can see that love is part of the answer, somehow, some way, of bringing healing to this broken world. So, that brings me to my second point. And that's that we can't justify ourselves. Jesus is the one who justifies us. And because of that, we need to trust in the finished work of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I got to admit, I see the lawyer in me. I see that I'm a person that tries to justify myself. Look, 
I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best to help people love their neighbor. I'm doing my best to help people love God. And I want to be seen as right. But we know. We know and we see here in this passage that Jesus reminds us that for us to be seen right and just, that we need to love God and love our neighbor. And we're reminded that we fall short of doing that all the time. We can't do that. We fall short all of the time. There's a a theologian, a scholar in residence at this website, 1517.org, which I love. His name is Chad Bird. And when he was talking about this passage, he reminds us that every time in the Gospels when someone has compassion, it's either Jesus or God. So wherever you look in, in all the Gospels, there's this Greek word, and whenever you see that, it's, often tra- it's always translated compassion. But whenever you see that word, it's only referring to the compassion of either Jesus or God. And so Chad Bird says, the one in the parable that shows mercy is the one they did not expect. He is the one rejected. He is the one they never looked for mercy. He is the one they never would look for giving life to one in need. And in this parable, it's the Samaritan who has compassion on this man. And so Christ is as well. He is the one who will be rejected. He's the one who will be beaten up and killed. He is the one who is rejected. And yet he is the very one who gives life, who brings healing, who gives of himself. This parable is about Christ, the one who comes to us. We're everyone in the story. We're the robber. We're the victim. We're the priest. We are the Levite. We are the victims, but we're also the victimizers. And for all of us, Christ supplies what's lacking. He gives us life. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us healing. He is the one. He is the only one who can provide this for us. And that brings me to my third point. For us to be good neighbors, we need to show mercy. I'm reminded that mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And just like Jesus told the lawyer, you go and do likewise. You show mercy. He calls us to do likewise. Since we who follow and trust in Jesus are given mercy, what does it look like to give mercy to those we desperately don't want to give it to? Now, 
I'm wondering and I'm thinking, as, as the lawyer was listening to Jesus tell this parable, was the lawyer thinking of the Samaritan? As, not as an abstract term, but as the person that he needs to show mercy to. I don't think so. Maybe. It's possible. But I think, in reality, this lawyer had people in his neighborhood, in his community, people that he needed to show mercy to, that he wasn't showing mercy to. And that's why Jesus has compassion on him. Jesus has compassion on him for this man who calls him out, who's trying to test Jesus to show him, who's trying to justify himself to show him mercy, that he might have mercy on those around him. The very first time that love our neighbor, that that is seen and mentioned in Scripture, is in Leviticus 19.18. And Leviticus 19.18, and Leviticus is written in a way where you have like things paired together, right? Do this, don't do that. Don't do this, do this. And I think a lot of times we forget and we read Leviticus, we read the Bible as um, like a fortune cookie, right? We just rip out the part or we focus our attention onto the part that resonates with us and we forget the parts that surround it. And in Leviticus 19.18, It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone amongst your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so we forget that part of this command, the do not do, is do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. And the do is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So this lawyer Perhaps there was someone that he sought to seek revenge. Perhaps he had a grudge against someone. Because I think it's pretty normal. It's unfortunate, but it's pretty normal for us to have grudges against people. It's pretty normal for people to desire to seek revenge. It's pretty normal not to want to give mercy on people. So, Jesus, as he challenges the lawyer to have mercy, to forgive as he's forgiven, to not seek revenge so that he can love his neighbor. I wonder, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for us? Sometimes we hear this passage, love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, we, we understand that this is in the context not just of, you know, people within the church, but we understand that it's in context of everyone in this world, that everyone is our neighbor. And I think in this globalized world, we realize that that's ever the more true. But I think because we think in such big picture ways, we forget. We forget that 
When everyone is a neighbor, no one is a neighbor. Because being a neighbor just becomes this nebulous term. And I think while there is truth to the fact that everyone is our neighbor, God has made us physical beings in physical places for a purpose. And for whatever reason, God has called us here to San Francisco in this season. And there's something special and unique about being here. And so I wonder, how do we reclaim the relationships around us? Because proximity matters. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been learning what it means to rehumanize the services around me. Now, what I mean by that is that I need help. We all need help, right? Human beings, we were created to be in community. We are in need of help. And the way that our world is, is the way that things run in this world right now has been a time of constant dehumanizing of people. You know, um, we, we have a hard time knowing the people who deliver the packages to our house because they're constantly different. We have a hard time building relationships with those people who drive us to the airport because they're always different. We have a hard time because uh, we have a hard time with these relationships. And part of it is because, it's funny, right? It's because we don't want to put a burden on people. Oh, I don't want to call, I need a ride to the airport, but I don't want to bother so-and-so to give me a ride to the airport because, I don't, because they're busy people. I don't want to bother so-and-so to help me with this, so I'm going to pay someone to help me to do this. I'm not going to bother people. And instead, relationships become transactional. We stop having community and relationship with the people that we are trying to bless because of the ways that some of these things, some of these transactions make us dehumanize our relationships. And so recently I've, been, I've had the privilege of driving people to the airport. I've had the privilege of being driven long distances to go get my car, to go pick up my car. I've had the privilege of, of having people have a meal. I've had the privilege of going grocery shopping with and for friends. It's been a, a joy to be rehumanized, to rehumanize my relationships. And that's part of why um, we're having this Shalom event. So the Shalom event um, that uh, Natalie mentioned earlier, it's being done by, um, by New College Berkeley. But in some ways, it's, it's actually a Trinity initiative. This came out because I was offered a grant to my congregation to really think about how do we push through and pushed into this new reality, into this new reality that we're all living in. It was a small but meaningful grant. So I was talking to Craig, I was like, we need to do something. 
to keep engaging in this world. For the last two years, we've loved one another and we've done pretty well. And I think the same is true here at First Press. And yet, as hopefully this is the last major wave of COVID, we've been saying that for the last two years, I, I realize that. But as we move into this new reality that we are, are entering into, the church is called and continues to be called to live as people on mission, on people who love and show the kingdom to this world. And so the Shalom event is an event where we'll hear from a world-famous missiologist who will challenge us and get us to think about what does it mean? What does it mean for First Prez to bring Shalom here in this neighborhood? What does it mean for us to bring shalom to the neighborhoods that we live in, whether it's the Sunset, whether it's Pack Heights, whether it's Dolores Park, whether it's South San Francisco? What does that look like? What does it look like in the very specific and unique context that we're in, but also in the general, broad context that we all are in? And so different churches from around the city, from around the Bay, are gathering together to think these things through. When the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, um, he gives his last speech, it's called, it's, I've been to the mountaintop. He actually quotes, um, he brings up the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So in this speech that he gives, it's the last speech he gives, and the day later, he's assassinated. He says, And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over the man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them there for a quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked the, the question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Church, we live in a world especially over the last couple of years, where fear has crept in into our lives. Maybe rightfully so. Maybe we do live in a more dangerous world. Maybe we live in a, a more challenging world. I think we, we do live in a more challenging world. I don't know if we live in a more dangerous world, but sometimes it feels that way. But we serve the king. The king who showed compassion on us. The king who promises to be with us. The king who is establishing his kingdom here on earth. And with that hope and with that confidence is the question that Reverend Dr. King asks, if I do not stop to help this man, 
what will happen to him? Are we not uniquely tasked and gifted to be people that can answer and ask, who can ask that question ever the more deeply, ever the more earnestly? Because he, because Jesus gave his all. Just like he met the lawyer and showed compassion to him. Just as he's shown compassion to us. Are we called? And the answer is yes, I think. To show mercy, to go likewise and do this. Please take a moment to think about this passage. And I'll close our time in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, we thank you that you have called us together to worship you, to be filled by you through your word and shortly through your table. I pray that we would head out into this world as those who can show mercy, who can show mercy, as those who are able to live out of love, as those who stop trying to earn our salvation, as those who live life deeply, who walk in light of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus has brought to earth as people of heaven living here on earth, as people with love, forgiveness, hope, and mercy. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.